Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. As we come to you this morning seeking to know a piece of your heart, to know what it is to know and to love and to serve you uh, better than we did when we gathered together, move among us, move our hearts and our minds. Um, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. Amen. So the story of Job is one, so I'm just going to give you the quickest recap I can, but the book of Job starts out, there's this man who has everything that you could ever want. He's got a big family, he's got lots of land, he's got lots of cattle, he's got lots of wealth. And then it says, the accuser comes before God and says, let me tip Job. And God says, okay. Which is a tough pill to swallow. God says, okay. So in that, in that coming against Job, what happens is Job loses a lot of his stuff. A lot of his family. It's gone. It's some kids property and Job's wife comes to him and she's like curse God and die and and Job what did Job say it's a pretty famous thing but he said the Lord gives and the Lord takes away right you're like man how in the world could somebody do that and then the accuser comes and says well he only did that because you didn't touch his body but you let me touch his body and we're going to get him he's going to deny you God says okay so he gets sores all over his body to the point where he talks to him, scraping him with, with clay jar, with broken pieces of clay jars. And it's not a very attractive kind of idea. And he still doesn't turn. And then Job's buddies come together and they start just bagging on Job and saying, where have you sinned? What's wrong in your life? Where have you not, you know, what is it that's wrong with you? So that we can get it right, get it cleared up, get it out in the open. And then... Everything's going to be okay. Job maintains, like, there's nothing that I've done. But as he goes into this, and these guys just keep going, he starts to get a little, he starts to change his mind a little bit, maybe. Maybe he starts saying, well, maybe this is going on with me. Maybe things, maybe God's not. He starts to doubt all this stuff that we saw in the very first chapter that we love to tell that part of Job. We don't like to tell Job's doubts. And then we get all the way then this other special friend comes in who really kind of lays it on thicker than anybody else. And then, in the midst of all this, God finally speaks. God, at this point, has not yet spoken to Job. God spoke to the accuser, right? And then people have been speaking Job's life. And then, in the midst of this, God finally speaks. And I encourage you to read that because it starts in about verse uh, chapter 36. It's really good because God just starts to lay out who I am. And God basically just, he doesn't need to, but he lays out all his credentials. He also lays out all the things that are different between him and Job. And Job responds and God says, no, 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 you still don't get it. Like I am God. I did all of this. Could you do any of this? Could you even do one? And so in verse 42, 
first six verses, then Job replies to the Lord. So it's the second time that Job's replied to God. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. Isn't it? That always gets me when Job talks about, surely I spoke of things I didn't understand, things too wonderful for me to know. In the midst of all that he's gone through, Job can talk about the wonderfulness of God. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. Which is what God told you as he first starts to speak. So my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. And then it ends with God restoring all this stuff to Job. thing I love about verse four, chapter 42 of Job is if we, if we go with the Hollywood version of things, Job is restored, and then he has this acknowledgement of who God is, right? That's, that's how it kind of typically happens. God, I saw you do this good thing, and so I'm going to acknowledge you. And there is absolute proof of that. Even in scripture. So that's not an unscriptural thing. Um, if we read even in Joshua, it talks about as the spies go in to look at Rahab, to go in to look at Jericho and, they, and Rahab's house, what does she say to them? She says, because we know what your God has done. We heard about him drying up the sea. We heard about him freeing you from Egypt. We heard about all your God did Fear has been put in our hearts because of what we've heard. Like there is act, there is scriptural basis for honor being given to God because people know and see what he's done. But I love verse 42 because Job tells us of God's goodness, tells us of his standing before God, tells us in the midst of all of this, that God is still good, and then He is restored. It's a lot. It's a, it's a backwards from what we normally have because normally we have that the Hollywood ending, right? I mean, some of you guys may like this movie. I personally don't, and I'll tell you why. Now, uh, there's a movie called Fireproof, and I do not like the movie. Some people at church told me to watch it. I'm watching it, and the thing I didn't like about it was at the end of this movie. Hey, the acting wasn't really the best. We know that. It was just horrible acting. But whatever. But at the end of it, Mike Sievers had better days. But at the end of it, the wife is mad at the husband. There's this whole thing that goes on. And at the end of it, she finally kind of acknowledged him. But when was it? It was after she realized he paid $25,000 to fix up her dad's house because of what he's in or something like that. He was saving up his money for a boat. And he was able to... Like, not buy his boat and use that money for his family. It's, it's, there is some good stuff in that. I don't like the fact that God didn't love us after we became lovable, right? The gospel is the fact that God loved us even when we weren't. But that's the only reason I like it. So, so that's nitpicky, I get it. So if you like it, I mean, we won't argue about it. I don't really. But 
thing I like about Job is that God shows his goodness to Job through the whole time. But he basically just says, I'm God. I can do what I want to do because I know more than you know. And Job acknowledges that and says, you are God. In fact, I spoke of things that I didn't understand is the way Job put it. Things too wonderful for me to understand. Can you fathom saying that in the midst of what Job's been through? I've never, I mean, now we had a stillborn child. We had two, actually. But I've never lost a child after they had breath in their body. Job lost like adult children in this story. His body was physically like eat up. He lost all of his wealth. Well, no, we don't know about all of it. We lost a good portion of cattle and stuff. And yet he's able to say, surely I spoke of things I didn't understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Job was a person who was able to worship God even when he had these doubts about about maybe the goodness of God because he realized that maybe God's goodness didn't equate to what he thought. And then he is restored. And sometimes we tell the story of Job backwards because we talk about Job being restored and God getting this glory, but it was actually God revealed his glory and Job acknowledged it before there was a restoration. And so that actually God gave him back more than he had before, which is a cool story. And that's the ending we all want, right? I mean, for being honest, that's the ending we want. But when we talk about worshiping God, we have to talk about worshiping without because, you know, we don't, hopefully this is not the only time this week that you worship God. You do it all day, every day, hopefully. And in those moments when you get a phone call or when something's just as frustrating as it can be or you realize that you didn't get the bonus you wanted or you didn't get the, 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 the your, your kid was, you know, sarcastic to you and it just may, ruined your day, you know, whatever it is. It's hard to, you know, as trivial or as big as it can be, it's hard to acknowledge and love God and worship God in the midst of those times. But what Job shows us is that is very important. And so what I want us to do uh, now, if you have a Bible, flip over just one verse in Matthew 20, uh, 26. Matthew 26. If you don't, you you may be familiar with this story anyway, but Jesus is in the garden. And Jesus just had a supper with his disciples. It's on the night that he is going to die, and he knows it because he is God. And so it's a night that in the body he is going to suffer. And he prays this prayer to God. And it's in verse 26, I mean, excuse me, it's in chapter 26, verse 39. My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus, knowing what's about to come, He didn't ask that God would, well, he does ask that God, if possible, like, let this not happen. But he being God understands this is what needs to happen. So he acknowledges the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God, knowing that this extreme pain that he's about to go through is necessary. 
Remember the first week we talked about worship being giving worth to God. And that's what Jesus actually does here. He doesn't want to go through what's about to happen. If he did, he wouldn't pray, let this this cup pass for me. Let this not happen. I don't want to go through this. But I'm giving you worth, God, because it's not what I will, but what you will, because you know what's best. It sounds very similar when we break it down to Job's prayer. That through you I'm going to experience things too wonderful for me to even know. Even though it's going to come through my pain. It was giving God worth. Job hadn't yet realized uh, the... He hadn't fully yet been restored, but he acknowledges the power of God. So he's giving God worth. Jesus does the same thing. Plays an act. There's a story that takes place in Acts. And it's the story of the disciples right after Jesus has, has uh, he's risen. He's promised uh, to send them a comforter. And he's gone. And a couple days later, they're in the upper room, right? At, uh, in Jerusalem. And they're waiting and the Holy Spirit comes, this comfort that God had promised. And God manifests himself in these really unique ways, and it changes the disciples, gives them fire in their bones. God, God through the person of Jesus Christ, it kind of changed the disciples' mindsets. But now they kind of had this bold. Peter always kind of had the boldness, right? He just wasn't always framed in the right way. He kind of did his own deal. Some, but now God has kind of given them this purpose. And they're just out just telling everybody about what's going on. They're in the temple courts doing this thing. And they're healing people through the power of God's spirit. They're actually seeing physical healings of people's lives. And then, because of one of these healings, and so many people were believing in God, the Jewish people, they kind of get, so they say, right, I have to bring these guys in. So they brought them in. They questioned them. Peter and John and other disciples, and now they're in this place. And a guy named Gamaliel speaks up in the midst of the Sanhedrin, and that guy becomes important because later we read that he was one of the guys who actually kind of mentored and trained Paul. But he speaks up and says that this is if what they're doing is of man, it's going to peter out. Remember all these different people, and he lists off some people who led uprisings and rebellions, and it just wasn't God and they. A couple people followed him, and then it kind of went away. And so he said, if this is a man, it's going to go away. But if this is of God, you better be careful. Because it's not going to go away. Do you want to be in a position where you're standing against God? So they realize there's wisdom in what Camillo says. And so they bring the disciples in. And they tell them, hey, quit talking about this. But they don't kill them. They don't. But they do something interesting at the end of that. They beat them. They beat him pretty badly. Not kind of the way we were expecting that story to go. We thought they were going to kind of be... But no, it's, they kind of told them not to, and then they beat him. So it kind of gives you an idea of what they were planning on doing if beating them was kind of the, the easy version, right? But what did the disciples do? Do you remember in Acts 5.41? Acts 5.41. 
I'll just read it real quick. The disciples left the Sanhedrin, or the apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had become worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And then what they had been warned against, they continued day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus and Messiah. The very thing they'd been beaten for, they left, not mad at God, saying, God, you, how easy would it have been? The disciples had just seen Jesus rise from the dead. They know he has all kinds of power. Jesus, while he was still here, gave him power because it said he sent them out two by two. And they actually saw demons leave and people heal. They saw people raised from the dead. Since Jesus had been gone, they've seen some really cool stuff. How easy would it have been to say, God, why don't you just send somebody down and, you know, keep this from happening? I'm leaving beaten and bruised and... What did they do? They left rejoicing because they had been considered worthy. They figured out a way to praise God even in the midst of their suffering, which is a way of giving worth to God. Now, I doubt they broke out the guitar and sang a song. They may have been singing a song, who knows, as they walked down the street. But they were praising, they were worshiping God because of who God was. Because they were counted worthy to be kind of like him a little bit. Very similar story. We won't read the whole thing, but Paul and Silas. Remember, these guys are in prison. They've been beaten. What are they doing in prison at night? Praising? They're singing songs and they're praying. Sometimes the very last thing that we think that we want to do in the midst of those kind of things. Man, I could have somebody cut me off on the way to work. And I'm mad till lunchtime. That may be a little bit of exaggeration. But I'm certainly not thinking about praising. And these guys got beat, right? Inside of us. When our hearts are tuned to God, like the, like the song that James likes. To my heart to sing your praise. That was like in all areas of life. Even when it's not good. Even when things aren't going my way. Even when it seems like you're against me. God, how many things in one week can go wrong? Are you kidding me? Do you not love me? I'm saying things out loud that I'm certain that a lot of us in this room have at least thought, if not everybody. But some of y'all may be better than me. That's all right. Y'all know y'all now know how to pray for me. But do you not? Are you listening, God? Do you even hear what I have to say? But yet finding a way, having our hearts tuned to God to be able to sing his praise no matter what is going on is a way of giving God worth. That is the thing that speaks. To those who do not know the love of the Father. When we can see the goodness of God even when it doesn't look like it's good. And the good news is, and this is where we take hope in Scripture. Is that when it seems like we're in the pit, when it seems like we're in Sheol, when it seems like everything's against us. God will not leave us in the pit. And so in that we take comfort. But even if he did... Like Job said, you are God. You have all wisdom. Surely I spoke of things I did not know, things too wonderful 
for me to understand. Why did I go through that, God? Uh, it was too wonderful for me to understand what you're going to do through that. There's a man that you may have heard of, you may not have. His name was Richard Wormbrun. He wrote a book called The Voice of... Um, uh, uh, he, he write, There's a magazine called The Voice of Martyrs. He wrote a book called Torture for Christ. And he was a Romanian pastor that was put in prison back in the 60s by the communist government, beaten, tortured, and all kinds of stuff for about, I think, 12 years of my memory serves me right. Can you imagine how many times during 12 years you would want to say, God, are you listening? Like, if you got put in there for like a week and got out through this miraculous thing, like Paul and Silas are praying that night and the chains fall off and, you know, that's easy. 12 years. I wonder how many thoughts went through his brain. God, are you even there? Do you care? Are you listening? <clears throat> but through that, he was able to share Christ with a number of people in the prison. And when he was released, finally, he started a ministry that actually is global, and it serves the churches that are living in places where they are persecuted. So God, through this horrible experience, you were doing things, God, too wonderful for me to understand. That going through this and having my heart tuned to hear your praise and to sing your praise actually accomplished things that were too wonderful for me to understand at the time. So I want to read, as we, as we wrap up, this idea of worshiping God even in the midst of doubt. One of the things, just a side note before I read it, one of the things that we're going to do as a church is we've talked about all these different ways to worship God. Over the coming weeks, we're going to do them. A novel, I know, that we would talk about something and actually do it. Uh, but we're going to actually do that. So, so there's going to be uh, some, some action put to what does it look like to serve God through worship, to serve other people as worship to God. What does it look like for us to pray as worship to God? And you think, well, that makes sense. We pray on something. What does it look like for us to actually just, that's what we do as a body of believers. What more can we offer ourselves or anyone else than to pray, to read scripture, to seek God's face and let him do the work? We've been lied to and told that we have to do work. And, and don't make a mistake, we do have things to do. But it's God who actually does the work. We're just the vessel that says, what do, you, what, what do you need of me? What God does to you, he intends to do through you. And so there's a scripture that Angie texted out to Tom and myself on Tuesday morning. I don't know what her intentions were because it was a whole book of the Bible. I'm not going to read the whole book of the Bible, but it's only two chapters, so it wouldn't take us that long. But there was a scripture I was reading it that God just kind of stuck in me. And then from there, he moved me into Joshua. And so then I was just reading Joshua. God kind of did this stuff. But there was, in Haggai, there's this interesting verse. And so I'm going to read the very first part of chapter 2. I don't know what part Angie intended. Maybe it was the whole book. I have no clue. Okay, it was the whole book. But what stuck it, and I did read the whole book. I read it actually twice. But what stuck out, what stuck out to me, was the second, was the first half of chapter two. So remember, as we worship God in doubt and praise, what I said previously, this is that even if we're in the pit, we 
still worship God, but he does not leave us there. And so I want to read is the first part of chapter 2. And in mind, it has the promised glory of the new house. That's what it says in NIV here at the beginning of it. But chapter 2, verse 1 of Haggai. In the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, speaking to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, we'll go with, um, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. So this is a word of God that was spoken through the prophet Haggai to the remnant of Israel that was left there in Judah. If you remember... Babylon had come and ransacked and taken away. And they're in exile. And they're gone. And so God actually speaks to the prophet, speaks through the prophet, specifically Jeremiah to the people in exile, speaks through Ezekiel to the people in exile. But he uses prophets who are actually still in Judah to speak to that remnant that's still there. And you can imagine what you're going through. You have a whole family here. You have this great kingdom and now you're destroyed and there's only a few people left. Imagine what you'd be thinking. But here's the word of God coming through Haggai. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak. The high priest, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. God has created us to worship him. And that worship happens in a lot of ways, in the way we serve people, in the way we pray, in the way we sing. Ultimately, all of that is in the way that we give worth to God. And in giving worth to God, we do that in all of our life, regardless of what is going on. And so our prayer today is that we can do that, as Job did before we were restored, while we're still in the pit. Could we give praise to God? Trusting that what he says is true. That my hand is still on you. I'm still the same. My spirit still resides here. So work. Because the former glory won't, the coming glory is not anything compared or is greater than the glory that was once here. You won't even be able to recognize because it's so much greater. May my mouth speak of things that are too wonderful for me to even understand. That's our prayer as we worship God in all things. And so this morning we're going to sing a couple more songs. The table 
has been set, you may find yourself in a place where you're asking God, why are you letting this go on? Why am I in this place? Remember that our job is not to make things go well. That's God. God is God. We have to stand like Job and say, you are God and you can do whatever in the world you want to do. Thank you for even thinking of me. So if you're in the pit, be encouraged knowing that God is God. Hearing the promise that was what that what once was is nothing compared to what will be. And if you're not there now, you can be the encouragement. You can be the prayer warrior. You can be the person to be praying in those spaces, to be filling that gap on someone's behalf, on some things behalf. Knowing that one day you'll be there. And may we all have a heart like the disciples who can worship God and count themselves worthy of not having everything go our way. And we can be like Job and say, God, I didn't understand because it was too wonderful for me to. And so today we get to come to a table knowing that all will be made perfect one day, that God is good, that God does love us, and that God has ultimately set things in motion for us to not only uh, live, but to thrive, even if it is eternally with him one day. And this whole life is hard because it will be. Jesus promised us that. But could we see the glory of what it is to live and serve him through all of eternity, not just through what we have here? That is the hope of the gospel. So let's pray. God, this morning as we come to worship you, some of us have had weeks where we say, God, what in the world do you even care? God, I'm thankful that you do care. I'm thankful that you're not mad when we ask that question. David asked that question so many times, and yet you still said that he was a man who was after your heart, who wanted to know you. God, I'm thankful that's the way you see us even when we doubt, that you see us as children who just want to know you. But God, may you give us the strength within our spirits to be able to serve and love, worship, even in the times when it seems like we should just give up. God, we love the good days. And they're so good. And we're so thankful. And we can share so many good stories of your faithfulness and your love. But God, we love the hard days because they're days that you've given us. They're days when you're going to speak to us. When you're going to help us to understand who you are. So this morning, no matter which day we're in, we come to you thankful that you have made us. That you have called us children of a king. That one day all things will be made new. This is only temporary. God, may we work for you. May we remember that what you have done to us, you also intend to do through us. May we work. We love you, God, in your name. Amen.